On today's episode, we're going to be talking about an algorithm that could possibly be used on patients that code after cardiac surgery. What's up, guys? This is Sean from Nurse Dose. And like I said, today we're going to be talking about something that can possibly be used for patients that code after cardiac surgery. So I recently made a TikTok video regarding what you can do after uh, cardiac surgery and your patient codes because it's kind of a special situation in that your patient will have a fresh incision down the sternum as well as a sternotomy with sternal wires, uh, which is basically basically just uh, metal wires that are sewn together through the sternum to keep it together after cardiac surgery. So this European Association for Cardiothoracic Surgery actually provided a algorithm that assesses three different code situations and goes down the steps on what to do with each of them. And I'm going to go through each one. Um, basically, they all end in a emergent uh, resternotomy. So you can count on that. Um, everyone who is taking care of CVICU patients or uh, patients who come out of surgery after coming out of cardiac surgery need to be prepared to do an emergent resternotomy with a provider because it is really the only way that you can resuscitate these patients. Now, these algorithms actually do boast an 80% survival rate, so this actually is pretty good. The only thing is, is that it is not accepted by the AHA here in the United States yet. It is something that is recognized in Europe and is officially practiced there, but it's currently being looked at here in the United States. There are some units that are actually using this. I've uh, kind of reached out to some people and they have confirmed that they do use this in their CVICU. So it is starting to spread, but just know that it is not officially accepted by the AHA, the same people who come up with the BLS and ACLS. Um, so just understand that this is not something that you just want to do without uh, talking to your providers and your unit educator first. And so before we get into the three different scenarios, I wanted to go over uh, some of these special considerations that they have um, down at the bottom of these algorithms that kind of go for each situation. And the first is if the patient's ventilated, turn the FiO2 to 100% and switch off the PEEP, so no PEEP. Uh, it, asks, it also asks you to change to bag valve with 100% O2 to verify O2 position and cuff inflation and listen for breath sounds bilaterally to exclude a pneumothorax or hemothorax. That's kind of something we already do in our regular codes. And if there is a tension pneumothorax suspected, immediately place a large bore cannula in the second rib space, anterior midclavicular line. Uh, another thing that we kind of already do in regular codes. Um, some key points, though, is you do not want to give epi unless a senior doctor advises. So no epi given unless an attending or chief resident advises it. This is something that is directly contradictory to our normal ACLS where you give epi every three to five minutes. Um, so this is something to really look at because you do not want to increase afterload 
on a patient who just came out of cardiac surgery or who has some kind of cardiac dysfunction. Uh, next point is if on a balloon pump, change it to pressure trigger, which is kind of obvious because there's no longer going to be an EKG tracing. And finally, do not delay basic life support for defibrillation or pacing for more than one minute. And this is something very um, important, and we'll get to it with the first scenario that we'll go over right now. So the first step on these uh, algorithms are to assess the rhythm. Uh, so obviously your patient is coded, so you're going to assess your rhythm. And if it's something like VFib or VTAC, the first thing that the algorithm tells you to do is attempt three DC shocks. And so if we go back to that key point, it says do not delay uh, life support for defibrillation or pacing for more than one minute. So if it takes you more than one minute to do these three shocks, then you have to start CPR. It's uh, something that you cannot hold off any longer than that. So what I've heard a lot of people do is they will leave the pads on the patient and actually leave a um, defibrillator in the room. It, if that's the whole crash cart or just the, the defibrillator, uh, that just kind of depends on the unit. But that would be your first step is to do those three shocks within one minute, which kind of seems ridiculous, but it's literally shock, assess, shock, assess, shock, assess. So it's not, there's not a shock and then compressions. That's just shock, assess, shock. So there shouldn't be that much time between it. And um, it's something that seems to be getting these patients out of these rhythms pretty quickly. Now, if those three shocks do not work and the patient is still in some kind of VFib or VTAC, you're going to start basic life support um, and give a bolus of amiodarone, which is 300 milligrams via a central line. While you're doing this, you're going to prepare for an emergent resternotomy and continue CPR with single DC shocks every two minutes until you can complete that resternotomy and um, cardiac massage or shock the heart from within the body with the paddles. And now for the second scenario, this is if your patient codes due to asystole or severe bradycardia. Um, so what you would do first is just try and pace the patient. So a lot of these patients will have um, some kind of uh, pacing ability, whether it be external pacing or internal wires that are actually attached to the heart. A lot of the uh, hearts that I've taken care of will have those pacing wires, especially if they had some kind of rhythm problem before, or if it's something that they know is going to affect um, the conduction of electricity through the heart. So uh, what you do first is try and pace. Um, if that is not working within that one minute like we talked about, you will start basic life support CPR and give atropine at three milligrams. And it says to consider external pacing. So that is something that you can do with the pads. Um, and if that doesn't work, then you're of course going to prepare for an emergent resternotomy and kind of do the same thing that you did before with cardiac massage. Um, and with these, unless they go into some kind of VFib or VTAC, you would not shock. And that really concludes the second scenario. So for our final scenario, it is if your patient codes due to PEA or pulseless electrical activity. Um, so with this, there's not really anything you can try in that one minute. Um, so you basically just have to go to basic life support, CPR, 
Um, and if they are paced, you have to turn off the pacing to exclude the rhythm. And so basically what you want to do with this is just go straight to CPR, turn off the pacer and prepare for an immersion re-sternotomy. Um, and that's basically all you can do with PEA because there's, you can't pace really and you can't shock PEA. So um, CPR is really the only thing that you can do with PEA. And now all this is really determined on if you have a provider that can get to you and get to the bedside within five minutes for that emergent resternotomy. I know a lot of these private hospitals, the doctors aren't in-house, so how is it possible for uh, you to do an emergent resternotomy in five minutes? It's just not. So you're really going to have to tailor this to your unit specifically. It's going to have to be something that comes straight from your educator. Um, but it is something that's really hard. And this is something that I had to get through my head when I started working CVICU. I'm one of those people that wants to know what to do in every single situation. And this is the one that stumped me every time, because what are you going to do if you're a patient with a fresh incision, uh, down the chest where they cracked the sternum open? What are you, are you really going to do CPR on that? And what I was really told throughout most of my career as a new grad nurse coming into CVICU was, oh yeah, you just do CPR, but you get one of those yellow basins and you put it on top of the chest so you don't cut yourself on the sternal wires. And that just kind of freaked me out. So I'm glad that there's something like this coming out that kind of breaks it down, gives a little more critical thinking into what you can do before actually starting CPR on these patients. And it's something where I think any of these facilities that are doing cardiac surgeries, the provider should be close, should be in-house, um, at least for the first 24 hours. Um, and a lot of these places do, especially uh, teaching hospitals, you'll have a chief resident there who will be able to do uh, some kind of re-sternotomy if needed. But yeah, that's uh, pretty much the whole algorithm in its completeness. Um, I am going to try and link the article that comes along with this algorithm in the show notes. If it'll let me, I think it's a pretty huge link, so it might not let me do it. But if it's not in there and you are interested in reading the article and all the scenarios that it has with it, then uh, just send me a DM on Instagram at NurseDoseOfficial or um, follow me on TikTok and uh, put a comment on there as well. Um, while I have you, um, if I could just ask you all, for some support and a rating and review on Apple iTunes podcasts, whatever they call it these days, it really helps the podcast get discovered and for other people to get this information. Um, I think it's very important that we teach these kinds of things to uh, people taking care of these patients and uh, improve our patient outcomes at the same time. Um, but yeah, so I will talk to y'all later. If y'all got any questions, just let me know. Um, and I will see y'all in the next one. Bye.